0: I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to two passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to look in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 4. These passages are going to be ordinarily, you know, series around here are going through book studies, Bible exposition, verse by verse. We have a little change of pace, uh, but, you know, we're always honoring the fact that God's Word But uh, um, it's considered, when we take a subject like we have this morning, we're sensitive to, we want to be, to what text we're visiting, what addresses (laughs) we're knocking on the door and see who lives there. Let's do that with Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to begin to read at verse 32, and I'm going to read down to verse 37. Now, just to keep you alert so that you don't uh, uh, get off and start texting or doing something crazy like that right at the moment, I want you to be looking for a name in here. There's a name that uh, you want to pick up on. All right, follow with me as I read. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And great and with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and they lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, now let's go over to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. While, you, while we're turning there, I'm just going to insert this. Uh, being this time of life, I sometimes I have to chase the thought before it leaves because it doesn't come back. And so I'm thinking that uh, of the youth, uh, i speak to you just for a moment, um, that I, I will, one of the ways I'll pray for you is that it'll be a singular time where you will meet God in a special way. I really mean that. You know, one of the significant times in my youth was probably in the summer, 1958. And I remember going to a youth conference at Toccoa Falls at Lake Louise. Beautiful place. And I remember we had a break in the sessions, and we were encouraged to go out and have time with the Lord on our own. And I remember going down by the lake, and uh, I can remember the soft breeze in the trees and looking at this, the, the, the water shimmering in the sun. And there was nobody else around. And I remembered just meeting with God. I'd only been a believer for a couple of years. And I was going through the Word. And I look upon that as one of those moments where, as the Lord reset or helped to set my compass with what I was going to do with myself for the rest of my life, I, here I am. <laughs> so youth... You don't know where you will be taken by the Lord, but I pray that this week will not be lost on you. And, uh, all right, that's not the sermon. You, you'll get into those things, Eric, all right. Okay, but now you should be in Acts chapter 11, and I'm going to pick it up at verse uh, 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent, they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. I, I could almost, after reading that, say, that's the message, all right, where would it go? <laughs> all right, but we have some things to consider. What does it mean to encourage one another? What we're attempting to do in these weeks during July and August, is that what we're seeking to do? Is some, get some renewed, regular clarity. The fact that the church is a growing community upon whom we depend. Yes, there is an interdependence which is not only commendable but is necessary, and is to be a fact that is to be lived out in church life. Interdependence. And I want us to keep that in mind as we work through what we're going to do this Sunday and next Sunday, take a couple of the one-anothers. I think the other men who are going to be coming along, um, Eric, John Sherwood, John Kratz, is that we, we want these to kind of be sewn together. So these one-anothers, and I'm going to take the encourage one another. is what we're doing this morning. The, the passage that I want you to – it's on the screen uh, – And you can see this Proverbs, and I'm going to reference it at the end, but I want to get it here at the beginning. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Ah, That's a nice, nice little sweet bite there in Proverbs as to how important it is that we connect one another by way of encouraging one another. But let's get some definitions up front. What does it mean to encourage? You don't have to be proficient in the English language to figure out that embedded in the word encourage is the word courage. <laughs> so to be renewed in courage. What is courage? What is it? It's, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's a quality of mind that whereby we can meet dangers without fear. That's what it is, bravery, to go forward, to stay at it, stick to it, don't quit, come on, we can do it. So to encourage is therefore that work of renewing that kind of thought, that kind of commitment, that kind of disposition, that process of living. That's what encouraging is. I have one of my favorite pictures I'm, I'm just about ready. I'm going to take it and get it framed along with some other pictures, a little collage of pictures of my dad in World War II. And this picture was taken by a, a combat photographer at risk of his life, and it had appeared in a, in a magazine. I think it was Collier. Well, you wouldn't remember this, but it was Collier magazine, which was popular at the time. And it was taken on July the 20th, 1944. Interestingly, that was his birthday. And there in this picture, it shows these Marines who've just landed on Guam. And they are hungered down. And they're under fire. And my dad just happened to be, when that photographer took that picture, my dad was kind of looking to the left. And there he was (laughs) on that beach. You know what bravery is? You know what courage is? It's that, for one thing, somebody's got to say this. If anybody's watched any war movies, you know this. All right, men, we've got to get off the beach. And who leads? Second lieutenants, is that right? Sergeant. Huh? Sergeant. Sergeant. <laughs> Sorry. I've got a man here who has been in comparable circumstances. You've got to say, somebody's got to stand up and say, let's go. Let's go. He doesn't do it with a walkie-talkie from a mile back with some kind of a screen on the battlefield saying, okay, you guys go on out there. I'll be with you <laughs> after the task is accomplished. No, you put your life at risk, but you get out there. And you lead. You lead. You encourage. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. Get off the beach. And, and then it doesn't mean that the men there are cowards. It's just that, okay, when do we go? We, it, but it always helps to have someone who say, this is the moment. Let's go. All right. We want to be people who say that. We want to be people who say, let's get off the beach. Let's go. We have things to do. God uses others to encourage us. He wants us to be an encourager to others. No person accepted in this auditorium. And where we will go is to walk through some of the truth statements that I think just bubble up from the scriptures as to what's involved in being an encourager. Now I've got a little supplement. You have a handout in there, an outline that it may not, depending on how you uh, you, you take notes. There's I'm going to supplement it a time or two, but you can follow that along. As, use that. But let's consider the very first, the very true first truth statement with regard to an encourager. An encourager is someone who through words and deeds helps others to keep life in biblical perspective. That's what, it goes, that's what it seeks to do. Therefore, an encourager is one who's sensitive to the needs of other people, physical and spiritual, and actively seeks to help them cope with life. And we all need help coping with life. An effective encourager has situational awareness of people. That's a military term, isn't it, it's situational awareness? That's right, thumbs up over here. Um, that situational awareness, what's going on around you? So just to, uh, so you'll understand it very clearly, it means when you arrive in a, a, a public gathering like this on a Sunday, obviously you're going to be conscious of... Uh, you know, what kind of clothes you put on today and how you may appear. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It can get out of hand. And so you know who you are. You know why you're here. You know what you've got on. And you're, you're full of thoughts that are perfectly okay. But at the same time, you come into a gathering when people are around you and you're thinking, there are other people here. Got to train yourself to be situationally aware. What are their needs? Oh yes, so and so I heard, I saw Baraka Communicate, or I saw a prayer request. Oh yes, well it might have been a couple of weeks ago. You know how the memory works; you can something can pop up that was came across your the screen of your mind a few weeks, maybe a month ago. But I'm just saying that you are aware of, not that you have to necessarily seek out everybody for a conversation. You couldn't do it; It'd be impossible. But some way, somehow. So I'm just emphasizing the fact that we have to train ourselves to become situationally aware. With some, it comes a little more easily than with others. I found that out. And some of us just need to, we need help. (laughs) All right, we have that. Now, a prime example of an encourager is is Barnabas. Ah, you notice the name, Barnabas. Barnabas was sensitive to the material needs of others in the body of Christ. Isn't it obvious? You read it? He, he shows up. And his nickname was Son of Encouragement. And he was sensitive to the spiritual needs of others. He introduced Paul to the other apostles, he sponsored Paul. <laughs> and you say, whoa, that would have been a prestigious calling. Whoa, wait a minute. I mean, Paul was a hitman for the Sanhedrin. Paul had a reputation for taking Christians, getting them put in jail, and having them executed. So it was Paul was not. It, I don't know that Barnabas would have the warm and fuzzies about going and meeting the Apostle Paul, but he did. Now notice three things in that text that's uh, in the Acts 11 passage. Three particular characteristics pop up on Barnabas' resume. This is kind of man he was. So this will tell you something about what it would take to be a meaningful, effective encourager. Number one, it says that he was a good man. A good man. A word there in the original is Agathos. And anybody here named Agatha? All right, there's your name. Agathos. Agathos. And in relation to others, he helped people. He had integrity. He. I think it, it carries the weight of the fact that he had a reputation and that he... He was good at connecting people with one another. That goes That's part of it. Now, I have spent the last three days over in Birmingham at this Counselors Disciple Conference and uh, working with or at the invitation of my lifelong friend, Dr. Howard Irick, who's just retired, being a, a, a pastoral uh, counseling ministry overseer elder at Briar, at Briar World. Up there on the hill, and you know, I found out something interesting this week. We think we we have some demands on on uh, events. I found out that uh, they have a total in their facilities in their facilities of thirty three thousand events a year on that campus. (laughs) Whoa! And I also found out how to do it, but I can I'll talk to you later about that. But. that's amazing. My friend Howard Irick has been faithful in that. But one of the things that I've noticed about Archie, as I know him, because he lived in Arkansas for the first few years of his life, is that he was, he was one of these, uh, he kind of carries this a little, um, this acknowledgement, it could cut two ways, but he's the kind of guy, and I, I, I love him, he's my brother in Christ, but he's the kind of guy that he loves you and he's got a plan for your life. Okay, and I, you know, I've gotten used to that because it's really helped me. Sometimes he's given me advice. I don't know, but other times he's given me things. Hey, uh, do you thought about doing this or going there? And it's, it's been of help. I mean, you get my point that an encourager is someone who you you love just because you love people. You're not trying to control people. I know you can be a control freak and trying to tell everybody well, when to jump and how high. No, I don't mean that. But I mean out of concern, love, awareness, connections, connecting people with one another. Now notice he's full of the Spirit. That's the second characteristic. He was a spiritual man. He was properly related to the Spirit. It's theological, i uh, used to say this, I can't say it anymore because nobody knows what it means, shorthand, all right? Everybody over 50, you no. <laughs> Shorthand. That what he's saying is that is that he lived by the energy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't simply mean physical energy. though that may be involved. But I mean the Spirit of God is so working in him, indwelling, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who uh, illuminates us, that is, he makes our brain cells work in such a way as to uh, be able to reflect upon truth and see how it fits and matches up to life, to give boldness at times when you're witnessing, speaking, teaching, serving others. Being able to go beyond yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a supernatural enablement. So here was Barnabas then. He was he was spirit, he had spirit guided impulses and understanding. But notice the third feature of this, man, Barnabas, faith. Faith was this. He was properly related to the Word of God. How? That faith is knowing and living by or obeying the word of God. Don't make it too complicated. It's seeing what God says, what he instructs us to do. It's saying, God, help me. I need to live that. I don't understand everywhere that's going to take me and how it's going to change me. But, Lord, I want to obey you and please you. That was Barnabas' reputation. Those are some of the ingredients. Confidence in God, therefore. And he knew how to connect truth with life. And I think he was a spiritually mature man. And let's move to the second now. We need encouragers because courage is not easily acquired and sustained. It is not. Let me give you a text. I think it's in your notes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Here's where it pops up, this word encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Now I'm just going to isolate one statement in that. Encourage the faint-hearted. First of all, let me point out something about that word. Usually the word encourage, I'm not trying to impress you with Greek, but it just it can help you because there are English words that are connected. It's just a memory device. It's the word parakaleo, is the verb to encourage. It's two words. To call alongside you 're familiar with the word that 's translated the noun form paraclete in in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit's called the paraclete, and it had a use in the in the first century world of somebody for example who could be a friend at court who could come alongside of you, help as like as a character witness, and so it' help prop you up and so the word comes through with that 's the normal word for encouragement. I said all that to say that 's not the word 's used here. Uh, it's used in other places where it's translating courage but this word that's used here is a combination of two words para of course which means alongside of or near and then another word that means words it's an unusual word for words that is someone who's alongside or near with words okay well we got to do something with that because that might send shivers up and down your spine if you're talking to a person who doesn't have an off button and you just keep talking, 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 it could scare you, especially if you're a timid person. No, to dispel that fear. What it means is, is that those who lack spiritual zeal and boldness, you see the faint-hearted. Oh, I need to say this about that word faint-hearted. It's an interesting little word. Literally, it means small-souled. Small-souled. A small-souled person. Maybe you got a little bitty tiny soul. What's that mean? It means that a person who has been overtaken by things and has made them timid and uh, I would say inordinately shy, there's nothing wrong necessarily being shy, but has kind of, they have a shrunken soul and they're just pulled within. Fear. It's the fear of man. It could be because of criticism. It could be fear of persecution. It could be, um, any number of things uh, perceived perceived dangerous circumstances, but all right, here is someone you come along and you put your arms around someone with spoken word and you encourage those who are faint-hearted and you lift their spirits to encourage, get off the beach and kindly with the right words, someone who wants to help others. And what does this involve in? Now, I have put before you here five causes, and I'm going to elaborate on them just a bit. First of all, why do we need to encourage the faint-hearted? I expanded. Because we all lose perspective on life from time to time, don't we? Uh, no matter how robust your faith may be, and strong in the faith, and wise, and experienced, and so on, we still can lose perspective. Oh my! Life can come with some complexities and some emotional dust storms. Things can happen that you had never, in your, in your wildest imagination, you had never figured these two, three, four, five, six things would show up at the same time, and you're just uh, disoriented, and so it can create a, a, a bit of confusion. It's like Chicken Little. Chicken Little. The sky, acre, hits him on the head. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. No, it's not. It's just an acorn hit your head. <laughs> the sky is not falling. You remember Jacob in the Old Testament? He had an episode like this. It's in Genesis in chapter 42, where Jacob uh, is uh, he's in a bad way. His sons have gone down. He, thought, he thinks Joseph's dead. His sons have gone down to Egypt to try to get some you know, for food because they're in a terrible famine. Well, they get down there, and you know the story. Joseph's there incognito. He's, the, <laughs> he's also the prime minister of Egypt. And so he works it out so that uh, uh, he wants to get Benjamin, the youngest son, who didn't come with the other brothers. And this was sort of Jacob's sort of his, one of his favorites, if not his favorite. And he sends word up that I want Benjamin to come. <laughs> and Jacob hears this request. He has no clues to what's going on. And so here, what's potentially before him, you know, he's lost Joseph, he's dead. Um, Now his brothers are there, and now he wants Benjamin, he's lost it all. And he says, all these things are against me. Oh, no, they weren't. (laughs) The invisible hand of God was working to do some things that were going to be extraordinary. He didn't know it at the time. But we can get in situations like Jacob did. I could tell you about Elijah, could tell you about Jonah. You know, the scriptures give us these these stories, so that's one thing that can happen that, where we need renewed perspective. Secondly, because we get lonely. Someone said number one problem in America, of all places, well, America, lonely. Um, I. Sociologically, I think I can get a handle on this because the way we live, we live so we don't, we tend not to be communally oriented. We tend to be independent. And then you add to it air conditioning, sealed houses. Hey, I love air conditioning, but it does have a downside. And you can live in your little igloo and you can have your, you know, you're not in touch with the outdoors and people in the street, on the sidewalks. Or you may meet them at the store, places like that. But anyway, you can, in social media, oh, goodness, where do you go with that? What that can do from that, uh, that screen, that computer screen, or videos, or Snapchat, or Instagram, and Facebook, and, and on and on and on. You get all these things, Netflix. And so you can end up living in a really artificial world, and you find yourself cut off from people. And then you begin to get this knowing feeling. You feel so alone, you know, what's wrong with me? Because I'm looking at all these people. I cry at the right point in the movie, I laugh when they make a joke. I send out pictures of myself with my best smile on so they think everything is really okay when it's a, it's not, it's a disaster. And so we create this set of circumstances where loneliness just can come in and begin to eat our lunch. There are a lot of people, I don't doubt that there are people right here in this room, if we could flash the state of our soul up on the screen, God forbid, it'd be scary but the state of our soul that you're lonely. I had someone tell me that I've had more than one person tell me they come on ch- church on Sunday and they get discouraged because they're lonely. And they leave. Now sometimes it's because they get they get lonely because you know it, it takes them 30 seconds to get from the auditorium to their car after the service and they wonder why they're lonely. But leave you to figure that one out. Um, but they don't mix and move and so on. But I'm not trying to put blame on that situation. But loneliness can be, we need perspective. We need help. We need to listen to other people. They're suffering, and they have physical needs, and they have marital needs. And then the third one is because we sin and we fail, we lose perspective. We feel lonely. We sin and we fail. We need, we need help in recovering. We need a helping hand. We get down. We take one step forward, two steps back. It happens in the Christian life. sanctification's messy. and so, oh, we need those people who will help us to get refocused on things. and I was uh, getting a, I was getting an update. one of the values of the conference was hearing what's going on in other places. And by the way, that's encouragement. I should say uh, going to a good, robust gathering, I mean, church can do it, but a conference like this where you meet people and you find, oh, that's happening? I have no idea. You're there? What? Like I met a pastor up in North Georgia. who has got a northeast Georgia uh, who's got a church. He's been up there 29, 28 years, Bible expositor. I didn't know he was up I met him last year, but we met again. And he's, what an encouragement he was to hear. He just went into what was not an easy place and started from scratch and, and to see what God has done. I said, "Wow! I wish I were starting over again. <laughs> Sounds good. And so we get encouragement, but there was another encouragement. Some of you know, uh, Jim Shawbrook, uh, you're here. We talked earlier, um, that uh, uh, Mark Shaw, and uh, his work in counseling and he is something that's opened up for him he is uh he was in birmingham for a while went up to a faith church in, in lafayette west lafayette indiana and well, it's a long story i can't get into all the details but something has dropped in the lap, his lap and some others of a facility in the indianapolis area where it was a hospital that was, uh, no, that's not technically right. But anyway, it was a medical facility that was like worth about $11 And short version of it is they ended up getting the whole thing after all was said and done. Somebody bought some of the property, donated it back, some lawyers and so forth. They ended up paying just a few million, two, three million dollars. And it's this perfect facility and they're going to start a drug rehabilitation center there. And it will be Christ-based, biblical-based. I mean, Mark, is, uh, he's got his head screwed on right. And uh, they're going to be working to provide this with, with beds and counseling. And how many times have we thought, we know people, friends, family, who get caught up in the drug world and depend on chemicals, and we try to think, oh, if there could be just some place so, so they could get some traction where they could be loved and give the gospel. Because so often they go to places, sometimes they go to Christian places the Christian, quote unquote, which uh, you have to detox them from the bad theology they get when they get there, and then the secular places sometimes they can be safer. At least they detox you. Okay, all that to say that this is a really a good. This is a, something that's going on Be in Indianapolis. Pray for it. Pray for Mark Shaw. Pray for that work, which is really needed. And there are a lot of networks, a lot of networking going on. I get into to say that because it's going to be a place where people who sinned and failed and people who got caught up in the, just the, the, the terrible bondage of, of drug, of dependency, whether it's alcohol, drugs, and they're just trying to claw their way up out of that hole. Thank God for that. They need encouragers. All right. Because of lack of maturity in the Christian life. Because of lack of maturity in the Christian life. New converts need direction, discipleship how t- this is a story that's told. It's sad, but it happens. It's told often. Someone comes through. You've heard testimonies like this. Well, I was saved when I was twelve years of age. But then I just went crazy as a teenager. And I just <laughs> I sowed my wild oats and then about the age of twenty one, the lights came on and God just got hold of me and everything was changed. Well I'm thinking about age twelve, age twenty one. Could a Christian get into a season of life that is like a wasteland and make stupid decisions and waste time? Yes. Is it the ideal? No. Let's do all we can as encouragers to be conscious of new converts and not let them have to just hang out there by themselves. Do you know someone who's relatively new in the faith? You students, young people, do you know someone who's relatively new in the faith? Maybe you are. You have to be relatively so we need help we need encouragement oh thank God for Jim Bryant. thank God from Ralph Bartlett uh, I, I mean I think you know these people I'm memory <laughs> I'm going back thank God for a pastor Paul Van Gorder thank God for Henry Grosh thank God all these men in the youth uh, Bruce Bruce okay went to be a missionary in Mexico what a guy what an evangelist These were people that God brought into my life when I was just trying to get my footing, trying to work things through. And God brought these men, many of them, but they were in their 20s. It often happens that way, doesn't it? You're a teenager and somebody in their early 20s that sort of got some momentum. And I respected, these were strong men in the Lord. These weren't just uh, good time Charlies. These were men who were serious about God. And I'm telling you, they kept me they kept me encouraged, and you know what? That's what God wants to use you to be. You don't have to be an entertainer. You don't have to be a, a potential Hollywood personality to be an effective encourager. No, God's packaged you up. Just hey, I'm ahead of myself here. I'm a further point later on, but I might as well go for it now. Look, you, 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 you have a personality. You have a past. You have experience. You are unique. There's nobody on the planet who's ever been exactly like you, and nor will there ever be. I don't get a fat head over that. It's just, like, it's just the praise to God in His infinite wisdom. How He packages up so many different people, and we're all different. But I'm telling you this. I said that to say this. God wants you to be an encourager. You have a contribution to make. You see things You've, in a way that others don't. Your brain is wired in a certain way. And so you you can connect with people. Don't take yourself out of the game. Think, oh, I can't do that. I'm just, no. All right, Whew, I'm going to move. And four, five, five, because we lose our health, we get sick. Because, because our bodies are dying, now I'm picking this up from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, where Paul comes through with encouragements to those who have lost loved ones, and he gives them encouragement with regard to the second coming. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't I don't know what Jody Parrish's capacity for embarrassment is. I've known Jody for a long time. <laughs> but did you get some encouragement through oh, I mean this moment was she was diagnosed for if you don't know she was diagnosed with was it larynx cancer yeah. Larynx cancer it's the c word ooh and what she had to go through uh, and I guess it almost felt like a season of dying before you could really live pain, pain suffering people showed up people came cleaned her house people gave her rides people encouraged her <laughs> so see See, this is how it works. And God has equipped, he equipped some of you. Some of you just, you were on that, boom, thing. you were there. Good. All right, this is what I'm trying to say. So I have a little bit of a mini category that goes in the outline here, but it's not in your outline. But I couldn't, I, I'll tell you, quite frankly, when it came to me, I thought, how could I have missed that? I woke up early this morning by design, and I was, I was reading something, and I said, Who's the greatest encourager who's ever lived? Can we find one? It would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, he showed up in the incarnation. He came out of the ivory palaces, came from that, came to this earth, and was among us. That says something for encouragement, but there's more. Look at his life. Look what he did. He encouraged people. Just, hey, we've got a water ski over it, but it's worth getting the wheels turning here. We know this about him. He identified with needy people. He did not hang out with the rich and the famous. Actually, the rich and the famous didn't have, they didn't have the time of day for him for the most part. But he, needy people. And he, at his very baptism, that was that he came to, to fulfill all righteousness. That says he's here to identify with sinners and bear their sins on the cross. And it's anticipating what he's going to do in his redemptive work. His mind and his words were soaked in Scripture. You notice that about Christ when you—he just—he was taking on all these PhDs in theology and he was making them look like uh, first graders. He was just so nimble and so, but not in a show-off way. It's just that he had like his words were like apples of gold on trays of silver. (laughs) We read it and we think, "Well, I could have done that." Oh, really? You could have thought of that verse, and you could have handled it that way. It's where genius is. You see, it looks easy. Yeah, because he made it look that way. But he knew the Old Testament. He was ready with the word of encouragement, quoted the Scriptures, and he was was compassionate toward people. I don't need to argue that one. Actually, that is the one emotion that's highlighted about Christ more than any other in the Gospels. He was compassionate. And, you know, and I'll tell you, he was so compassionate. This is the way an encourager is. He was you know, such an encourager. He was in the synagogue. You remember that episode? And there was somebody there with a withered hand. You know, that gets a little inconvenient, trying to live life with one hand, and you didn't have any uh, prosthetics or anything to help with it. And Jesus is going to heal this man. And guess what? The Pharisees get mad. You can't make a man feel better on the Sabbath. You've got to wait till Monday, but he's got to suffer. And you know what it says? Jesus was angry. He was righteously angry. So I'm just saying an encourager is someone who is so attuned to people in need who are hurting that they're ready to do what is necessary. I've seen this in hospitals, encouragers in hospitals. They'll go in there and they may see some things that are going on in the name of care, which aren't care, and there's a little bit of sloppiness and lack of attention, and they'll be down at the nurse's station. Uh, could you come down to this room, please? There are some things that uh, we need to talk about, need a little bit of attention, encouragers, uh, you know, that way, not being bossy and mean, but that kind of thing. Jesus was patient with his disciples. Oh, my. What a motley group. Uh, we've you know, we look at them like here, are these heroes, the, mag- the magnificent 12, and they are getting themselves in trouble. They don't think clearly. And Jesus is just, every, he's so patient and gentle with them and keeps them. I think the classic example of Jesus and encouraging is where at the very uh, end of the Gospel of John, the reference is to Peter. You know, Peter, messed up royally. He denied the Lord, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Peter, do you love me? You know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he's simply, he's bringing him back. Come on, there's work for you to do. Don't lie there languishing in self-pity and, uh, oh, I can't do anything. Peter had, had the props knocked out, knocked out from under him. He had been a very self-confident kind of guy, and the devil came to work on him, but God overruled it and used it to sift Peter from his, the difference between his self-confidence and God-confidence. And he comes out, and he's ready to lead the men. And just look what he does in Acts in chapter 2 and 3, and he's out there boldly proclaiming. So see, you see what encouragement can do. All right, let's move along to the next issue. That's all we can say about it. But Christ is that perfect picture of an encourager. Thirdly, becoming an encourager requires deliberate and spirit-enabled action. Now, here's where I've got the four bottles of oil and perfume. So we're going to come back to this. All right, uh, here is uh, here is the, uh, um, I'm trying to think of what a, a word for oil. I'm not into oils. I was going to say olive oil, but that's just, you know, you, Put that in your butter and put it on a biscuit maybe. But uh, anyway, perfume, Old Spice, okay, whatever. Uh, but what it smells good, it's like it's oil in hot climates. Oil helps to protect the skin. And you sweat, and you may not smell good. And perfume helps and so on, all that kind of thing. But what are you, four bottles of oil and perfume, one, by showing hospitality. Here's how it works. Let's get some feet on this. By showing hospitality, being sensitive to material needs. 2 Corinthians 7 and 14, opening up our heart and home to others. Philemon, this is what Paul said to Philemon. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Hospitality, what a way to encourage people. Encouragement. Encouragement is... The body working together with its varied gifts. See, I uh, should accentuate this a bit. Uh, unless, you know. Teachers can be really guilty of something here. We teachers who occupy pulpit, teach classes, we think that's the only gift in the church. <laughs> no, it's not. And we're equals. We're equals. Some just are up front. Others, well, I'm saying this. You have a gift package. You have a... You have a natural gift package, but you have a spiritual gift package. You are endowed by the Holy Spirit, I believe this, at the moment of conversion with a spiritual gift package. Now, what is it? I don't know. But I, I know what the gifts are. But that becomes the means of encouraging people. And I, maybe you just like to work with numbers. You want to get the books balanced and you really... Now, I, can't, I cannot identify with that passion... But uh, I keep the checkbook in our house, and Beth is a little uneasy about some of my bookkeeping habits, the, and we, we stay ahead. But uh, you, number crunchers, organizers, merciful people, administrators, you know, 33,000, uh, I told you about earlier, Briarwood, 33,000 events a year. All right, we... We have our share of events. You know, somebody's got to be in the driver's seat helping to organize, make sure things in place. That's encouraging because people come and benefit and profit from it, and it spills over in multitude of ways. So don't write yourself off. So hospitality. You know, and a part of hospitality is generosity. What an encouragement that is. This has been a very important part of my experience our experience, it was. I remember once, we, years ago, Beth and I, we just gotten into Atlanta. We were trying to put things together in our lives. And we were eating at Morrison's, used to be. I don't know, Morrison's. By the airport. And we were there, and the kids had already been instructed, okay, we can't get dessert. The kids remind me that. <laughs> they still do. Wait, we can get dessert now. But we were trying to watch it. And we only had so much money. And so... Uh, I, I I got afraid exactly how it unfolded, but I know this much, that we were told that our bill had already been paid. I know, I who? And I found out later there was a family who knew who we were, and they had picked up the tab. And I, I have a friend now, I won't mention him, embarrass him perhaps, but that was his way of... For this young preacher years ago, whenever you go out with him, he know he's pick up the tap. and you know i 'll tell you one thing that has done for me. this is what encouraging does. when you're an encourager with generosity, you know what it 'll do it 'll help people to you it 's infectious, and you 'll want to be because you 've been blessed by it, encouraged by it, and you want to be generous. so if i 'm if I'm with the family, I want to pick up the tap. <laughs> it 's fun. Thank you, Lord. Got a little bit of money. House paid for, thank you, Lord. Cars paid for, don't owe anybody anything, got a little extra? Wonderful. Be an encourager with what you possessions you have. Your house, uh, money, and so forth. All right, more, more could be said, but let's move. Through communication, through correspondence and communication. Acts chapter fifteen, verse thirty one. I have that there to you for you because that's a letter that was sent to the church at Antioch. And it was a letter of encouragement after they had had this big church theological council meeting to, to uh, go th- work through the issues of law and grace and how you're saved. and You don't have to keep the law. It's by faith alone, by grace alone. And so anyway, so they worked it all out. The apostles speak, get the letter together, send it. And the people, those in, in Antioch, they're encouraged by this. They're encouraged by it. And... Ephesians chapter 6, verse 22, that he, Tychicus, may encourage the saints. How? Well, Have you thought of it this way, that the epistles of the New Testament were written to encourage saints? If you Just check the epistles up. That's what most of them were written, to encourage saints. Bring them along. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. He sent Timothy to encourage, so communication to exchange information. One of those acts of generosity. Pardon the, uh, the you know, personal references, but I don't know how else to do it at this point. But I can remember when I was in Bible, in seminary, Bible college and seminary, I had a dear friend. He's with the Lord now. I really miss him, Jim Nixon. And I, we went back to where we were teenagers. You know what he would do? He, now he, he worked, at, he went, graduated from Georgia Tech. He was at Tech and I was away. School, and he worked and went to school, and he would send me five dollars ever so often. Now, it's not like much to you, but I can tell you, back in the early '60s, that would go a ways. And he would he would send that with a letter of encouragement. Oh, my dear brother, who who came through that way. So don't take yourself out of this. You know, communicating with oh now it may be text. Hey, I want to offer something to you. Let's sanctify the whole world of Facebook, text messaging, Snapchat, and uh, Instagram, and whatever else they come up with. Could we just have a moment where we drive a stake in the ground to sanctify all that? Think of it this way. I want to use the social media to be an encourager for Jesus Christ from this day forward. That's it. And I will tell you, if you will have that frame of mind it will keep you from a lot of the foolishness that goes on in these trying to win arguments trying to put on a face that's not true all that kind of thing and thank god i want to use it to encourage people as god helps me i try to remember that my kids will grandkids will come to mind when i'm up in the morning praying and i say oh I get stopped and just text them. I'm praying for you. I know what you've got. You've got some exams this week. Oh, I'm praying. And oh, you didn't do well in that physics exam the last time. Don't worry, everybody's not turned out, is not wired to be a physicist. <laughs> and you know what? Just pick things up. Let's okay, let's go. Then through the ministry of the word, I've overlapped already with that one. Romans fifteen four, the encouragement of the scriptures. That's really the blood that runs in the veins of encouragement. Oh, that's it, folks. It's the Word of God. It's not just high fives and, and uh, hey, you know, being a, a cheerleader. Uh, yes, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, okay. You do become a kind of a cheerleader, but a scripturally driven one. 1 Corinthians fourteen three verse 31, where Paul says the ministry of the Word in the church is for encouragement. Acts 15.32, encouraged and strengthened of the brethren with a lengthy message. (laughs) Preachers are going to like that one. (laughs) Yes. Yes, encouraged by a lengthy message. Does that resonate with you? It probably doesn't. Okay. I confess when I was younger, I dozed. And I can still doze in a message that goes on. But Lord, help us Faithfulness and hearing the word of God in the services of the local church. Oh, the times I've opened the word of God when the cold winds of discouragement were blowing and I just God's word just comes in. Oh, you got to know that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not speaking a foreign language here, am I? You know this. That let God's word just wash over your thoughts and renew your motives and, and re-inspire you. You don't. You don't have to have a lot of bells and whistles to make that happen. The Word of God, and and then through affirmation of love and forgiveness is another bottle of oil and perfume. And I, i am sure Archie wouldn't mind me telling this. My my friend, he told this story. We were having a little conversation in his living room. This matter of encouragement through love and forgiveness. And he was, he was the only child, and his parents were old when he was born, and he was raised like older people. And uh, his mother was, uh, he gave this story, that he, how she made a difference in his life on this one occasion of which profoundly affected him. And he had been given, he was, oh, maybe about 11 years of age, he had been given a hat by his parents, and it was one of those uh, MacArthur hats. It, was, it had the braids on it. It was uh, military, uh, and he took that, wore that to school, got on, the, got on the school bus, and then some smart aleck, some bully, grabbed it off his head as he was getting on the school bus, and they just began the whole time they were going to school, riding there. It was being passed around, you know, to keep it from him. And then finally, when he got off the bus, he got it, and it was just ruined. Oh, he was so mad. He said he got off that bus. He went in the house in tears, and his mother was there. And he was, what have they done? And his mother did this. She said this. She said that Jesus forgave others, so must you. That was all she said. And he said that, you know, I think that he, he was attributing that counsel because it came back to him many times through the years. It has come back. That has kept him from being a grudge bearer and not forgiving people. I can vouch for that. I know this man. That he's, he's resilient in that way. But he attributes part of that to that encouragement to be reminded of that truth. Would you like to be in the Encourager Club? Do, do I have some? You don't have to raise your hand, so I'll play with you, but think about it. Think about it. And I'll leave this with you. I want to give you some assignments. This is it, conclusion. I want to give you some assignments. Once a teacher, always a teacher. I just got to give homework. Here it is. I'm going to give you some assignments. It's not your notes. Write it down, you won't remember it. One. Think of ways you have been encouraged. Yeah, I mean, get some time, some time when you meet with the Lord, sit down and get TVs off your, by yourself. Think, how have you been encouraged? I mean, everybody here has been somehow, somewhere. Okay, right. One, two, write it down. That's instructive. I was encouraged by. Okay, secondly, ask God to make you a better encourager. And get ready, by the way. (laughs) Lord, help me to be an encourager, too. However, you know, wives, this may be, therefore, I've got, you've got to say, I need to be a better encourager to my husband. And you know what, wives, you know what, uh, there is a, this is a dirty little secret, that women have a penchant for details. They see a lot of details. That's the upside. You know what the downside is? You criticize really well. You can. You can. You see things. Okay. Uh, maybe that's, maybe your husband doesn't think you like him, you don't respect him, or that you're just, or your children are just, you feel, you feel like they're just, you're pecking on them. Possible. Uh, men, maybe you're just, you can get a little too overbearing and criticize. Oh, I know a young man. Oh, I cannot go into the story. Gordon. I know a young man who grew up. He could never please his dad. I know this now. It's happening. Couldn't please his dad. No matter you sports. His dad always thought his dad was better than yeah, in his dreams. But he thought that he was just never measuring up. So the kid gets grows up and then, so he gets criticism and his he just shrivels. So ask God to make you an encourager: parents, husbands, wives. Three, set a goal of encouragement of at least one person a week. Now that 's really dumbing it down, but uh, we have to start somewhere. <laughs> Why, well, at least one person a week. Maybe it 's somebody you need to go to and ask ask for forgiveness. And then, to be an encourager. I end on. I'm going to end on a declarative statement. To be an encourager, you must be becoming more like Christ every day. That's the bottom line. Don't wait on others to encourage you. But you say, Lord, I want from this day forward. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not sure where it's going to take me. I've got some things that have got to be overcome. But Lord. I want to be an encourager. And you know what the great value of encouragement is. The greatest way you can encourage is be a gospel person. Are you a gospel person? Huh? Do you know the gospel? If I ask you, hey, could you stand up and give us the gospel here in just a few minutes, please? How to come to Christ? Could Could you? Could you do that? We all ought to be on ready and go. And you know that's the greatest encouragement you can give. A starter. To be ready with the gospel. What is it? Christ went to the cross. He didn't deserve what he got there. Oh, he did not, not a bit. And it was because of my sin that he went there. And God punished him. And God's wrath fell upon dear sweet Jesus who took my sins in his body on the tree. And he went through all that ridicule and shame, shame. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But he came out of that grave on the third day, and as he rose from the dead, he went to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. But now, now, do you know Christ? Perish the thought, God forbid, if you're sitting at a red light going home, and a big delivery truck just doesn't get the brakes on in time they come and rear in you and you are a goner dead dead on arrival will you go to be with Christ do you know that that moment you'll see sweet precious Jesus Christ do you know that are you flinching you say I'm not sure deal with that Jesus said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ receive the gift receive it hand out receive it it's a free gift You can do that. And guess what? We can all then go out from here and be encouragers. I hope you're on the team. You know what I was going to do? I can't do it now because I'm over time. But listen, I opened up my bulletin this morning, and I got a little gift, the bulletin insert. And my dear friend, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, wrote it. (laughs) Well, I know, Spurgeon, you, you want to read this. I was going to read it as the conclusion and I'm in danger of overstaying my welcome. So I want to stop. But would you please do this and let this be something that would ignite you to be encouraged. Read that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Then we're going to sing and rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the precious gospel. Father, I pray if there's one here this morning, man, woman, boy, girl, who has never put his or her trust in Christ, Lord, That in this special moment, they will look up to you and say, dear God, save me, save me, forgive me of my sin. I want to be yours, Lord. And then, Lord, I want to be an encourager for the gospel for the rest of my life. In Christ's name.